0: thought leadership from PwC. You're almost putting the cart before the horse if you have one entity versus the other kind of in charge of the uh, assessment as to who the accounting acquirer is.
1: That's my guest, Matt Sabatini, a PwC National Office Partner. This is Heather Horn, and thanks for joining me for episode two in our Facts on Spox five-part miniseries. Last week, we explained the SPAC basics, and today we're taking it a step further, looking at what needs to be considered when determining the accounting acquirer. It's not one size fits all, and it's important to get it right, because in a SPAC merger, identifying the acquirer will drive the accounting for the rest of the transaction. So, let's get started by walking through the key steps. So Matt, thanks for joining me to talk about this one of the first steps in any merger transaction, and that would be identifying the accounting acquirer. So is there anything specific to SPACs that we should be thinking about as it relates to determining the acquirer?
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a like you said, it's a great place to start, right? It's it's always good to start at the beginning. So um determining the accounting acquirer in a spac merger is really gonna drive the rest of the accounting for the transaction, right? And to get to the punchline first, and of course we're going to revisit this, but in a situation where you've determined that the SPAC is the accounting acquirer for GAP purposes, then you're going to be in business combination land and all of the provisions of ASC 805 are going to drive what the accounting is for the transaction. But on the flip side, if you determine that the operating company, the target in the SPAC merger is the acquirer, you're going to get to what we call reverse recapitalization accounting. And again, we're going to go into that in more detail, but I just wanted to bring that up front so that you as a listener know why, why you care.
1: All right. That's helpful. Hopefully we wouldn't be having this podcast if they shouldn't care, but still good to give the punchline. So then Matt, why don't we walk through uh, the key steps in determining the accounting acquirer?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, I guess the most important thing I want to get across is that it's not a one size fits all analysis. Um, each SPAC transaction has to be evaluated separately based on its terms and conditions, and the facts and circumstances that are relevant um, will kind of dictate who the accounting acquirer. So, if you're making broad generalizations, or if you're looking at past transactions, that's where mistakes can get made in this part of the analysis. So we generally look to uh, ASC 805 to help us figure out who the accounting acquirer is. And from a broad perspective, it's the entity that obtains control in the transaction. When you have situations where you have share exchanges, that, that can be a little bit um, harder to ascertain. It requires a lot of judgment and it requires kind of sifting through, like I said earlier, all of the facts that are relevant. Um, In in these cases, as with other um, merger transactions, the accounting acquirer may not always be the legal acquirer. Um, So oftentimes you'll see in public-to-public mergers something called a a reverse acquisition, and that's where the accounting acquirer has been deemed to be a different entity than the legal acquirer. So again, like I said, for the most part, we're going to be using uh, the indicators that exist within ASC 805 to help us figure out which entity acquired control, with two exceptions. And one of which is going to really be focused around the common control guidance, and the other one is going to be where the target company, the operating company, is a variable interest entity, and we're going to hit on both of those kind of exceptions to the ASC 805 model uh, in, a, in a bit. But you know, just back to the general criteria in ASC 805, the guidance says you know usually the entity that issues shares or transfers cash consideration is the accounting acquirer. Um, however, there's a you know other criteria that are listed out in the guidance, and, and careful consideration and the appropriate weighting of each of those characteristics is really important. Um, so, so they're the you know characteristics that hopefully everybody who's been through business combination accounting has seen before. It's the entity with more relative voting rights, the entity that gets to appoint more of the senior management or the C-suite, um, the entity that has control of the board. Um, there are a few more, right? But it, it all goes to the to help. Right, identify in situations where it's not necessarily clear which party really obtained control in the transaction.
1: So before we go to the exceptions, I have a question for you. Sure. From your experience, I know you said each of these are different. Is it more likely that the target is the one who's kind of making this assessment or is it normally actually the SPAC entity itself or some combination. Like, how does that normally work?
0: Yeah, it's a great question because if you uh, you're, you're almost putting the cart before the horse. If you have one entity versus the other, kind of in charge of the uh, assessment as to who the accounting acquirer is. Um, what I'll say is, if you're if you're in a position where you're looking at those criteria in eight hundred five, more often than not, you'll conclude that it's the legal target to so the private operating company who ends up kind of meeting more of those criteria for, for numerous reasons. One is, you know, the way the SPAC is set up, it's really established to do one thing and that's collect uh, investment dollars and find a target. Um, The management team of the SPAC isn't generally going to continue on as the management team of the combined entity. Right. And, And a lot of times given kind of the regulations around SPACs and how big they can be and how much cash they have, it generally turns out that the previous shareholders of the target company have more relative voting rights than the SPAC. Although that, again, that can Differ. on um, The board of directors is another criteria we see that often points to the operating company uh, target. The legal target is the accounting acquirer. So more often than not, you'll find that these transactions, and I know I said not to generalize, so I'm trying not to, but you'll find that these transactions result in the um, legal target being the accounting acquirer. And therefore, that management team, where there's generally a more robust accounting function, kind of leaves the charge in this analysis. Um, But I've seen it both ways, right? I've seen it where, you know, a SPAC sponsor is also heavily involved um, in in trying to figure out the right accounting and the right financial reporting for the transaction.
1: All right. That's super helpful. So then you mentioned that there's sort of two exceptions. So can we run through those, maybe starting with common control?
0: Sure. So the the common control um, exception is what you're really looking for in that situation is one shareholder who controls one of the entities, the combining entities, before the transaction and controls the merged or combined entity after the transaction. So where you would most often see this is on the private company, the legal target side of the equation. They might be owned by a private equity uh, fund or um, a closely held kind of family-run business. And if that one shareholder controls the private operating company, so the legal target before the transaction and also has enough voting shares and board control of the merged combined entity after the SPAC merger, we'd consider that more like a common control transaction. And that shareholder who controlled the private company before and the combined entity after um, would be the accounting acquirer. So in that case, you'd end up with um, reverse recap accounting, as I mentioned earlier.
1: All right. So that's definitely something to think about. And then, Matt, I know you mentioned the other exception is VIEs, variable interest entities, and that's probably... A whole separate podcast, uh, but in this context, how do VIEs fit in?
0: Yeah, good question. And in, in fact, I think we've done one or two podcasts on VIE.
1: <laughs> in fact, we have. I was <laughs> going to promote that. so uh, I,
0: I never missed the opportunity for self-promotion, Heather. So um, so <laughs> what we most often see the VIE exception when it comes to um, these SPAC mergers has been in what people have been referring to as up SPAC transactions. So, what's an up-spec? I'll ask the question. Uh, it uh, it started years ago um, with REITs, right? So there were these up REIT transactions, and then a, you know a few years back, upsees became very popular. And essentially, the up REIT and the upsea are a tax-driven structure that allows partnerships and LLCs um, to go public through an IPO, while at the same time providing kind of an advantageous tax structure to the partners or owners of that private company. So we've been seeing a lot of what people are calling up-SPAC transactions, which I think borrows a lot of the tax structuring from up-seas. Um, so typically in the, in this situation, the SPAC, which is a public company, is going to merge into a private partnership or LLC, um, where the owners of that partnership or, or LLC will continue to maintain some advantageous um, tax positions. So that's kind of what an up-SPAC is. Why am I talking about up specs as it relates to the VIE exception that we're talking about earlier? Uh, it all, again, goes back to some changes in the VIE rules a few a few years ago where partnerships and then LLCs that have the governance equivalent of a partnership are usually going to be VIEs under the variable interest entity model, unless there are kickout rights or participating rights. And again, I don't want to get into a lot of details on the model, um, but needless to say, there's a lot of overlap because, again, up, up SPACs are you know, the target company is going to be a partnership or an LLC, and the VIE model generally starts with an assumption that a partnership or LLC is a VIE. Okay, bring this all back to the <laughs> accounting acquirer conclusion. There's a provision in uh, business combination guidance in ASC five that essentially says if you're the primary beneficiary, so if you obtain control of a VIE, you're automatically the accounting acquirer. So that kind of kind of closes the loop, right? You don't have to go through those criteria that we are talking about earlier in 805 where we you're looking at relative voting rights and size and management to determine who the accounting acquirer. If you've obtained control of a VIE, uh, you're the primary beneficiary and you are the accounting acquirer. So these up-SPAC transactions generally will follow a legal form where the SPAC acquires a partnership legally and, and they'll also be the accounting acquirer for accounting purposes.
1: All right, so then maybe to cut to a chase on that, because I think... That might have been the most acronyms anyone ever used in like one little answer <laughs> between the UPSPACs, the LLC, the VIE, et cetera. I like setting
0: records. So that's good. Um, yeah.
1: But maybe just a question is if you're in a situation where you have one of these UPSPACs or you have VIE considerations, will you know, or is it something you should be looking for?
0: Yeah. So you'll generally know when you're in an up situation because you know, you're know you actively structuring the transaction or the merger with the SPAC to achieve these tax benefits. right? And those tax benefits will come with common bells and whistles, including exchangeable shares and some tax um, receivable arrangements. So you'll generally know if you're in an up spec situation. Um, what I'll say is if that's the the transaction that you're structuring, then you should be very cognizant of what the target company looks like, what it's legal form is and what its governance structure is. And that's where your, your head should be focused is, am I acquiring it? Well, if I'm a SPAC, am I acquiring a partnership or an LLC that operates like a partnership? And if I am, then I need to be very careful about my accounting acquire analysis.
1: So then Matt, sorry, this is, I think complicated for someone who's not dealing with it all the time. So if I'm in this situation, then, are you saying there's scenarios when then there wouldn't be a VIE in an up transaction.
0: Yeah, it's certainly possible, right? So I, I guess the the way I'd sum it up is if you're acquiring an entity that you've determined to be a VIE, then you as the acquirer, the legal acquirer, will be the accounting acquirer. But not all up will be VIEs,
1: if that makes sense. Yes. I wish I could draw you... you a Venn diagram. <laughs> <laughs> I know. This is where there are some limitations with podcasts, but it sounds like if you're in an up situation, look and see if there's a VIE. Otherwise, it's always good. I think you would probably say you should always double check for VIEs, but maybe they're more likely to be in an up type of transaction. Is that fair?
0: Yeah, exactly. You just summarized it better than I could.
1: All right. Thank you. Perfect. So then let's move on and assume you've made it through this analysis and you figured out who is the accounting acquirer. I know you mentioned that there can be different accounting models, depending on whether that's the SPAC or the operating company. So can you walk us through some of the key differences?
0: Yeah, sure. And we've gotten through the hard part, I promise. When you've concluded that the, the target, the legal target, the operating company that's private, right, is the accounting acquirer or you generally end up in reverse recapitalization accounting or some people call it reverse recap accounting. And it's similar uh, in nature to a reverse merger, as I mentioned earlier, where two publics might might merge. What you're going to see in the accounting for those transactions is it's essentially treated as a capital raising event. It's, you know, the result in the financial statements of the private company is going to be as if it had gone through an IPO, uh, as if it had issued equity to the, the public markets in exchange for cash. Because in form, that's what a spec merger really is, right? The SPAC has cash and public shares. And when it merges with the private company target, the private company target becomes public. And now its shares are, are trading. And all that cash either comes to the private company or its or its shareholders or some combination thereof. Um, so it's, it's treated like a capital raising event. There's no step up in, on the assets. There's no acquisition accounting applied under 805 to the target company's books. Similarly, you wouldn't apply it to the SPAC's books, because again, the SPAC only has cash. So there are no other assets that would be subject to to step up. In fact, you know, under gap, it's it's not a business. It would let me say that again. Under gap, it generally wouldn't meet the definition of a, of a business. So you're not applying 805 you know, accounting to the to the assets and liabilities of the SPAC. So you'll have retained earnings of the target company that remain unchanged. It's going to be as if that target company has always, always been there and it has. Um But the number of shares outstanding is going to be adjusted um, historically in the equity section and on the balance sheet to reflect the exchange ratio. And, you know, you're going to have certain impacts on historical presentation of EPS, uh, as well as certain financial statement disclosures.
1: All right. And then what if the SPAC is determined to be the accounting acquirer?
0: Right. So if the SPAC is the accounting acquirer, we call that a forward merger just some more lingo uh, to throw out there. So, the acquisition accounting under ASC 805 would apply in that situation. And the assets and the li- liabilities of the operating company, so the target, the legal target, are remeasured to fair value. And you may have obviously goodwill associated with any residual between the consideration transferred and the fair value of those assets. Um, You generally see black line presentation because in most instances where the spec is the accounting acquirer, the predecessor entity for historical periods is going to be the private operating company. And again, not to not to generalize, but in most cases um, that that would be the case. And so you'll see a historical operating trend of the um, legal target, the operating company, and then a black line and then going forward, um, stepped up financial statements with acquisition accounting applied to that entity. Um, You may see some other differences between um, this forward merger and the reverse recap that I talked about earlier, including certain earnouts that we've seen on SPAC deals um, may fall under the contingent consideration guidance in ASC 805. Um, You might see a slightly different treatment in transaction costs, because generally under ASC 805, those are expensed as incurred. Um, And then we talked about up-SPAC transactions, and I mentioned tax receivable agreements. Um, Those might be treated or, or often are treated differently, depending on whether or not there's a an acquisition under ASC 805 versus a a reverse recap.
1: So Matt, superficially, it sounds like it's easier to do a reverse recap. Is that true?
0: (laughs) There's complexity with a reverse recap as well, right? Getting your equity section right, um, getting your historical EPS right, uh, and then trying to get your head around the difference between legal form and accounting, right? Because you have a legal acquirer who's different than an accounting acquirer. It does come with its own complexities, but I'll I'll agree with you that I think probably in total all of that is easier than you know having to do acquisition accounting on the target of company's books and 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 you know hiring a valuation firm and auditing the purchase accounting and everything that goes with that.
1: All right, and then one more question on on sort of the accounting here. Are you seeing from your experience where companies are structuring to achieve one or the others of these, or is structuring for these deals much more around the economics of the deal and things like that?
0: Yeah, generally the latter. I'm generally, it's economics driving the deal. Um, We have seen people kind of get out ahead and these up transactions and trying to figure out if the target company is a partnership or an LLC, you know, what model is it going to fall under? So they, you know, you know, they there may be some efforts to structure the, the target company into a different legal form. More often than not, it's it's folks just trying to get ahead of what the what the accounting requirements and financial reporting are going to be just so that they know, right? Um, that, that knowledge, having that knowledge in advance allows you to go out and hire a valuation firm if you have to, and allows you to do your performos and get your AK filings correct. So um, mostly it's for people just trying to get out in front of what, what the requirements are going to be.
1: All right. Makes sense. And then obviously, as you saw from all the questions I asked, uh, this can get complicated quickly, especially if it's new to you. And so if you were talking to someone who's going to be dealing with one of these transactions, what's sort of the general advice you would give them before they start to get into the detail?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it's, you know, take each transaction on its own, um, understand the legal terms, understand the facts and circumstances of your transaction, because it's always great to pull up prior filings to try to get some, you know, try to leverage what other people have been through in the past and try to get some learnings from those filings. And and I, again, that's that can be very helpful. But, you know, I just caution folks to, you know, don't don't necessarily copy your neighbor's test paper when you don't know if your neighbor actually did it right either. Right. So just uh, just, you know. Just make sure you understand the transaction terms uh, on your deal, because they may be different.
1: Well, and I think probably safe to say, even if you knew your neighbor was getting it right, probably best not to copy. But overall, definitely think uh, it's good advice. And particularly in this case, where I think every time um, SPACs comes up, I hear people talking about it. The consistent theme is they're all different. So definitely it sounds like in this case, really making sure you understand your facts. And then, understand these models is key. So Matt, as always appreciate your insights and thanks for joining me today. You're welcome. That does it for today. Join me back here every Tuesday and Thursday for new podcast episodes. Next Tuesday, I'm joined by Chip Curry and we're talking fair value. It's a complex topic, but we're keeping it simple. So be sure to join us back here next week. So that you never miss an episode, follow the PwC Accounting Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. And to stay up to date on all the latest content, let's connect on LinkedIn. From Thought Leadership at PwC, I'm Heather Horn. Thanks for tuning in.
0: This podcast is brought to you by PwC, all rights reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates, and they sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.